whatever stuff at the end. Uh, but today is um, our session two of our isolated but invigorated talks, okay? So that's what we're trying to do over these four weeks, and it'll probably go longer than that, but we're going to do these four weeks and see where it goes. Um, just prioritize this theme for you, isolated but invigorated, and for us to think about how can we flourish during this time? How can we grow? Uh, how can we bless others? How can we um, really be invigorated? So even though we're isolated, set up separate, uh, even though there's so many reasons for us to be fatigued and worn down, um, legitimate reasons, there's still tons of opportunity for us to grow and to be invigorated. And one of the, my prayers for City Light is that not only would God use us in this time, but that we on the other side would be like ready for the next battle to keep to keep fighting for the lost and for the poor and for those around us to know Jesus, that we wouldn't come out of this like fatigued and like, okay, we finally get a break, but we would come out of this, you know, ready and rolling with energy and with zeal, with vigor uh, to really take on whatever the Lord has for us in the next season, whatever that may look like. So uh, that's one of my prayers for you and one of my prayers for us. And I think it's very possible as long as we maintain the right mindset, go to the scriptures, encourage one another and all that. So this is just simply my effort um, to encourage you guys for us to talk together. I thought last week, um, simply just from you guys discussing what we said, I thought it was super encouraging. Uh, I was really blessed by that. So I'm going to do something short like last time, and then we're just going to talk about it and just encourage one another. So the first session was your personal spiritual development. So we're hitting four buckets. Remember your personal spiritual life. How can you be invigorated there? And we talked about fighting for delight and the two things were to get closer and stay longer. So that talk is on YouTube. If you missed it uh, with this, you know, wonderful background and this and hazy, whatever it is um, that talks on YouTube though. Uh, and so fight for delight in this season, really um, important for us to do that together for you guys to do that. And for all of us to kind of own that, that uh, our delight in the Lord comes with a fight. It comes with uh being really persistent in that it comes with a level of devotion uh, and discipline on our, our end. But if we fight for it, the way God has laid it out, we will experience the delight he has uh, in us and the delight he has for us, which will really um, inspire our spiritual walk with him. So uh, I really believe with all my heart. And I think it's pretty clear in the scriptures that desire is the fundamental uh, thing going on in our lives, not necessarily discipline. Discipline helps create desire, but desires, really what runs all your decision-making processes. So my example with this always is even if it's a decision to do something you don't like to do, it's because you like something you desire food and shelter, right? So you go to a job you hate. Okay. You're even in things we don't do, right? I work out not because I enjoy working out and I don't even work out that much, but because of the desire inside of me to feel better because that's what happens when you work out. So all these things that we do, even things we don't like to do, we do because there's a desire running it at the bottom. So when we increase our desire, rightly so for God, then that's going to affect our decision making. And that changes the game in terms of holiness, obedience, all of those things. And so if we can grow in our love for Jesus, a byproduct is going to be uh, freedom from sin, acts of service, all those things. Okay. So sometimes we start the wrong end where we try to really grow by applying certain principles by trying to serve and do those different things, which obviously are great things to do, or by even just applying a lot of discipline to like do the right thing. And what we forget to do is work on our desire and fight for really delighting in Jesus. And the amazing things will begin to happen almost naturally, supernaturally, really. Uh, but that'll be a natural byproduct of really doing that. So 
those of you who've been around me long enough know that that's pretty much the theme of my life. And I think that's important. So that is your personal spiritual development. That was one principle for you. Fight for delight. Today is your biblical theological development. Um, I'm going to keep it short, but we're going to try to, we're going to try to go through the scriptures here. Uh, just to give you one thing to sink your teeth into in terms of biblical theological understanding. How can you read the Bible better in a way? How can you understand a theme in the Bible that would help you? So uh, obviously there's a million things you could talk about. Um, but today the title of the talk is uh, Don't Stay in the Shadows. Okay, so if you're going to write it down, if you're a note taker, it's called Don't Stay in the Shadows. And it's from Colossians 2.17. Which, the summary, there's just a short verse in a huge context, which says, these are the shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. And so as I was thinking through, like, man, what's a, a biblically, theologically way to be trained, but also something that could be helpful in this present moment, uh, that could be practically helpful in the midst of our situation, but also something that we all need to learn and grow in, uh, in terms of understanding the Bible. Uh, and I thought this was helpful. This word, the substance belongs to Christ. The shadows are the things that come, but the substance belongs to Christ. And the more I began to think about, A, how the scriptures unveil Jesus and how this is going to help our understanding and reading the Bible, like when you're wherever you are, Leviticus, Obadiah, Matthew, Revelation, whatever context that you're in, understanding how everything's linking up to Christ is going to help you read the Bible in a way that's more healthy. Um, but also when we think about now the word substance in terms of something good for me to like dwell on, something that gives me sustenance, something that has real, you know, worth to it. Uh, the substance belongs to Christ. And I think so often, just even practically speaking, uh, in a way that in Colossians 2, he was fighting off their devotion to the shadows, which was religious activity. Um, they had substituted religious activity for really knowing Jesus. And he was talking about, man, those are just shadows, but the substance is Jesus. And so many ways, practically, we live that out in the sense where we stay in the shadows of trying to do good things or whatever it might be, certain behaviors. Uh, but what we forget to do is really take on and eat and really dwell in the presence of Jesus, learn more about Jesus, fix our eyes and our attention on Jesus. And so uh, in the midst of coronavirus, in the midst of everything that's going on right now, um, a really spiritual and also practical thing for us to do is to learn how to fix our attention more on Jesus. And then for us to understand how the Bible helps us do that from beginning to end. And so one of the main theological biblical principles of reading the Bible, one of the biggest themes, obviously in the scriptures is that everything runs to and from Christ, that he's the center point at which we understand the scriptures and that his story of him coming uh, really explains everything before and everything after. And the more we read the Bible in the context of the gospel, uh, not ignoring the details of the text, whatever it might be, Second Samuel or whatever, uh, but understanding how it fits in this big story, I'm telling you, is really going to help you in your own personal reading, not just to like make it through some certain sections that you might find more difficult, uh, but to also to help you get the most out of it in the sense where like, like you squeeze the sponge, you know, like you're getting everything out of that passage that, that the Lord has for you in that moment uh, where you can really get the most and you can grow and be invigorated by your own Bible reading uh, without needing anybody around to necessarily teach you and to know, help you know what, it, what it's saying, and what it means. So um, that is one of my uh, things. I lost my iPad died. So I'm pulling up my notes on my phone. Uh, so today is don't stay in the shadows. The substance belongs to Christ. So I want to give you a couple of verses about 
what we see when we get Christ and why it's important to go and pursue him. And then I want to show you Old Testament to new kind of the understanding of that. Okay, so uh, Ephesians 3, 8, you write that one down. It says, to me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. So the, Paul says, hey, this grace has been given to me. There's an unsearchable riches in Jesus. And I get to preach about that, which means my preaching content never ends. It always just, the preaching may be bad, but the content is fantastic. Jesus always gets better. He's got unsearchable riches. You can't talk about him too much. You can't learn too much about him. You will never, this is why heaven is great, okay? You'll never exhaust the goodness of Jesus, ever. You'll never reach a point where you're like, man, well, I know everything there is to know about Jesus. I've experienced everything there is to experience about Jesus. That's impossible because his riches are unsearchable. Colossians 2, uh, verses 2 through 3, Paul says that he wants the Colossians to reach all the riches of the full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is in Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And so once again, this kind of understanding of Jesus, like a treasure hunt, which once again will provoke your delight to say, man, I pursue Jesus like a treasure hunt, because in Jesus are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, the unsearchable riches of Christ, his character, his beauty, his worth, uh, always worth pursuing and learning and growing in. And so in this season of coronavirus and obviously just in life as Christians, this should be one of our primary focuses is absorbing, leaning into, learning more, um, eating the substance that is Jesus uh, and really learning more about him and pressing into him, uh, which ironically, it's just funny that our like we learn the gospel and we grow in our affection for Jesus and love for him. And there's like this this kind of thing that happens where we just become doers of the, of the principles of the Bible, as opposed to like lovers of the person of the Bible, Jesus. And a lot of times we measure our devotion based off the things that we do rather than the amount that we love and our understanding of God and of who Jesus really is. And for whatever reason, we kind of lose this focus because it's hard to kind of measure love, I guess, and our feelings and devotion to him. And those like go like this. Uh, it's kind of easy to measure the things that we're doing. And so maybe that's one of the reasons. But uh, all that to say, we spend a lot of our time, Christian speaking, in the shadows and things that maybe point to Jesus, uh, but aren't him, that aren't Jesus himself. And then we wonder why we're so spiritually dry and malnourished. And it's because we left out the substance, the substance, you know, it's like we ate cotton candy and we, we forgot the steak. And the cotton candy was great and it tasted good for a second. But as soon as it went in my mouth, it was gone. It had no sustenance to it. Um, and it might have been something good, but it wasn't Christ. And so in this season, fixing your eyes on Jesus, learning more about what that looks like and how to read the Bible that way. Okay, so this is what I'm going to do. It's a very short, very short theology lesson. I promise you 10 minutes. Okay, so you're just going to stay in with me. Okay, there's four covenants in the Bible. Four. Four, okay? Four covenants in the Bible, major covenants, okay? There's the Abrahamic covenant, the Mosaic covenant, the Davidic covenant, and then Jesus, the better covenant, okay? So that's four major big strands in the Bible that as you're reading the scriptures, you're either going into or coming out of and working towards one of those. So wherever you are in the scriptures, you can know whatever's happening is flowing out of this thing that God told this person. And now that I have the whole Bible, obviously, it's working towards this other thing that God's about to do. And so what helps you read through the scriptures well is to understand the flow of God's covenants and how he's working with his people 
namely to make a covenant or a, a deal, a, a, a promise, really better is a way to say it, a guarantee with Abraham to make a promise to Moses, to make a promise to David, and then to fulfill all those promises through the better covenant in Jesus. Uh, and those, that, those promises are the ones in which we live. And so as you're trying to read through the scriptures, you got to understand these four main ways that Jesus is speaking to, leading, promising, uh, giving rules for his people. So Abraham, Moses, David, and then Jesus. And now what you're going to see is all of these people and promises find their fulfillment in Christ when he comes. So the more you understand what God promised to Abraham, the better you're going to see the fulfillment of what Jesus did, which is going to make you appreciate everything that Jesus is on another level. Right? When you understand what God promised to David and how David was to lead his people and how as great as he was, even he failed in doing it in the way it should be done, how great it is for Jesus to come in and to fulfill everything God promised for David and to bring about all the blessings that the Lord had promised Israel that couldn't come because they didn't have a leader, namely the Savior Jesus, to make sure it came about in the way it was supposed to. And so the Bible, the whole intention of the Bible is to point you preeminently towards someone coming, Jesus, someone has come, Jesus, and now someone's coming again, Jesus. And the more you can begin to read the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation with that in mind, that this is, a, this is flowing into when Jesus would come. This is flowing out of when Jesus came. Uh, this is working between four different covenants that kind of show me how God wanted to work with his people. Uh, that's going to unite, A, your understanding of the Old New Testament so that it flows really good, so it's not disjointed. Uh, it's going to help you understand why God is the same Old and New Testament. You know, I hate it when people say that he's different or he's nicer in the New Testament. You know, I'm like, have you read Revelation? He doesn't seem very, there's a lot going down in wrath and Revelation. So uh, we should be very careful with our, our understanding of that. So anyways, these kind of covenant ways help us, A, uh, fix our eyes on Jesus better when you're reading Genesis 12, whatever. Um, and they help us kind of understand the theme of how God's trying to work in the Bible. So one of the best things that we can all do really is become better, better by God's grace, Bible readers during this season, all of us growing in the things God is revealing to us, growing and understanding good tools by which we can read the Bible, uh, growing in our understanding of the Lord and taking this time to really, really press into that uh, and hopefully create really good habits that will last even outside of quarantine. So uh, we're going to start with Abraham and work our way down. So Genesis 12, you should, if you're writing things down, Genesis 12, 1 through 3, Genesis 15, 1 through 6, and Genesis 17, 1 through 8. I'm not even going to read all those, but in Genesis 12, God makes a promise to Abraham. He calls him out and he says, through you, I'm going to bless all nations. Genesis 15, he confirms the promise in Genesis 12. And then in Genesis 17, he makes the covenant with Abraham when he walks through all the the half, uh, half body of the animals or whatever, and he makes this sacrifice to the Lord. And the Lord makes a covenant with Abraham there in that space, basically covenanting on the first thing he told him in Genesis 12, Genesis 15. Uh, and so when you think about the four covenants, the first one you'll, you'll say is a covenant of blessing. It's a covenant of blessing. So God covenants, makes a promise to bless his people and through his people to bless the world. So this is the original way that God founds his family. So it's a covenant of blessing. It's the way that God has founded his family on the Abrahamic covenant, Genesis 12, 15, and 17. From that point, God orchestrates everything else. And so when you're thinking about, man, what is God doing with his people throughout Moses, throughout the prophets and whatnot, 
from that very point of blessed to be a blessing to the nations, finding God, founding a family for himself, that he begins to work through the rest of the scriptures and eventually reveal Jesus as the ultimate cornerstone for God's family. So uh, when you think about the goal is a uh, blessing. So the covenant is a covenant of blessing. Well, what God did was found a family and the goal will have all these for each one. The goal is to bless all nations. So the goal of the covenant in Genesis 12, 15, 17 is to bless all nations, which is so important because that would have made no sense to Hebrews it's a Jewish people in the Old Testament in the sense where God's intent from the beginning is to bless all nations through them. Uh, as they begin to understand that more and more, they grow into that. And then Jesus comes. And that's why their minds are so blown. It's hard for them to accept that Gentiles now receive the kingdom as well, which was God's intent from the beginning. So, uh, so your Old Testament is that. New Testament, Ephesians 1, 3 through 4. When Jesus is explained as being the source of us receiving every spiritual blessing in him. So now you have Genesis 12. God promises to bless his people through Abraham. He's working throughout the whole Old Testament to reveal that and bring it to pass. Jesus comes and now what Abraham could not do and no one else in the Old Testament could do. Jesus unlocks every blessing, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places that God has prepared for his people. So the ultimate blessing made accessible to all people comes in Jesus. So what Jesus, what God promises and begins to orchestrate in Genesis 12, 15 and 17 with Abraham gets ultimately revealed and confirmed and fulfilled when Jesus comes, dies and rises again and unlocks every spiritual blessing um, for his people, which are now Jews and Gentiles, which is a blessing for all nations. So this is important uh, because for many of us, when you think about shadow and substance, uh, the shadow of, of blessing can be spiritual activity. Uh, it can be certain worldly blessings, like especially in the Old Testament when um, really the substance of blessing was kind of a revelation of God really blessing you through all this wealth and whatnot. That was kind of how it was understood. If we prosper, that means there's God's blessing on that. Um, and now it's understood differently in terms of the spiritual realm, where if we prosper spiritually, God's blessings on that. So the substance of a blessed life is life in Jesus. Okay. So that's the, the substance of receiving God's blessing is life in Christ. So when you think about Genesis 12, God promises, confirms in 15, makes a covenant in 17. His goal is to bless. And then his people do all sorts of crazy things. And so do we. But when Jesus comes, Jesus solidifies God's way and really God's ability to bless his people because now Jesus has done all the work to really make that happen. So now the substance of you having blessing from God is that your life would be found hidden and revealed in Jesus. So therefore, the more you understand your life as being reunited with Jesus, the more you find your life in Jesus, the more you find your joy and your purpose and all those things in Christ himself, the more you will experience and unlock all of God's intent, which was Genesis 12, blessing, Ephesians 1, spiritual blessing. That's what you unlock. Okay. So everything that God promised then that he's working through that people throw away. Now Jesus gives us the ability to unlock in Ephesians 1 uh, because of that. So the substance of blessing is life in Christ. So that's Abraham. Now you have Moses. So remember, hold on with me, okay? It's like 10 minutes, theology lesson. Moses, Moses is not a covenant of blessing. It's a covenant of keeping. It's not to found God's people, but to form God's family. So Moses is a covenant of keeping, not blessing. 
Moses comes and God gives Moses the Ten Commandments to form, not found, his people. The goal is not to bless all nations, but to make God's people distinct from all nations. So now he comes and God's working. He originally chooses to bless through Abraham. Now he says, I'm going to form my people through Moses. So I'm going to solidify who they are. I'm going to give them rules by which they live. I'm going to rule over them like a king personally through Moses. This was God's doing when Moses comes to say, I'm going to form my people through a covenant of keeping. And I'm going to give them rules by which they need to follow so that they can be my people. And the reason I'm going to give them these rules is so they can be distinct amongst all nations. I'm going to form my people. This is what God's doing in Moses. This is Exodus 19 and 20. The way you receive the blessing is that you keep the commandments. This is how the Ten Commandments worked out. This is how all the commandments God was giving them in that season worked out to say, if you keep my commandments, then the blessing will come on your people. Uh, so now, obviously, they really screwed that up. And so do we. And so when Jesus comes, Jesus fulfills. This is Matthew 5, 17 through 21. Okay, a lot of scripture here, theology lesson. Jesus fulfills everything that the law required. So God creates rules and regulations to form and make his people distinct because through them, he wants to bless all peoples, but they are not who they are supposed to be. So God's giving them leaders and, and, and people and rules by which to form them. Okay. He says, you need to keep these certain commandments so that you can be my people. Obviously they fall away from that. God's uh, shows his wrath and he's merciful again. He brings them back. So what we learned from Matthew 5 now is when Jesus comes, what does he say? He says, I didn't come to abolish, but to fulfill. So when Jesus comes in Matthew 5, he's looking back at Moses' time, and he's saying, listen, all those rules, I didn't come to throw them away. I came to fulfill them. Now, just practically speaking, this is really helpful when people ask you questions about why Christians don't eat shrimp, why we don't sacrifice lambs anymore. Uh, why we, you know, why do we not do those things? But we, we keep some of the other things like some of the different rules and regulations about morals and different things that, that the old Testament requires. We still require now, but we can't. Well, the reason is Matthew 5, 17 through 21, that when Jesus comes, he fulfills everything the law required, which includes all the moral commandments, which are the things we cannot do. So all of that gets wrapped up in Jesus, and it's done. It's solidified. He's our priest. He's our mediator. He's our sacrifice, all of that. So I don't have to sacrifice because of that. The thing that makes me distinct as God's people is now that I have his spirit through Jesus. It's not, the, not, not what I eat and don't eat. That's not what makes me distinct. There's something else now that makes me distinct. I don't sacrifice because I have a sacrifice. Also, I don't uh, not commit adultery so I can keep God's favor. That's not it either. Jesus already did that. Jesus was perfect for me. He fulfilled the law. So I'm not trying to fulfill the law so I can keep the blessing. No, no, no. That's even different now. I fulfill the law because it's an outworking of God's working in me. So I don't do any of the things the Old Testament required because those are required to keep God's blessing or to stay amongst his people. No, no, no. That's different. There's different reasons why I'm distinct because of what Jesus did. He fulfilled that. There's a reason why I don't need to sacrifice what Jesus did. He fulfilled that. Then there's another reason why I actually obey and keep the moral commandments of God. It's because Jesus fulfilled those. And now he's working in me by his spirit to create somebody like Jesus. So little by little, I grow and I progress in that if I join him in that. And so anyways, I find that helpful when people ask questions like that. Um, so Jesus comes and he fulfills. So like the first one, the substance of blessing is life in Christ. The second one here, the substance of obedience is submission to Christ. 
So if I want the shadow, if I don't want the shadow of blessing, but the substance, then my life must be in Christ. And I must realize that, live in that every day. If I don't want the shadow, which I fear so many of us live in so much of obedience, but the substance, then the shadow of obedience is religious activity. But the substance of obedience is submission to Jesus. It's following him. It's he's my Lord. He's my master. I'm following his ways, his rules. I'm following his leading by his spirit. I'm submitted to him as a person, not necessarily rules and regulations. Um, and so obviously Jesus gives these rules and regulations, but I follow them to follow him, not to just keep the law. So now when I uh, want the substance of obedience, I submit to Christ who was fully obedient for me. Now you can take that for granted or you can be like, man, I read the, I'm in Jeremiah right now. And man, God's like, I'm going to smack y'all. Like I'm, Listen to me. God's like, stop doing what you're doing because I'm going to literally bring somebody and they're going to kill all your everybody. It's just going to be bad. I'm going, I'm coming for you through Jeremiah. And the people are like, nah, 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 nah. They don't care. They don't care. And it's just amazing. And God's like, you follow your stubborn heart and this is what you end up getting. And then when I think about that played out through the whole Old Testament, right? And then how we are just like that. And the only reason it's different for us is that Jesus has come and did something nobody else could do, that he kept the law perfectly so I wouldn't be required of that anymore. He kept the law so that I had somebody doing it for me. Jesus came and was the substitute for me so that I didn't have to offer sacrifices. And when I screw up, you know, Jesus is the one who pleads my case and who intercedes for me at the Father's right hand. The spirit who lives within me now because of Jesus intercedes with me and he, he helps my prayers when I don't know what to pray. And so as I think about, man, how hard it was and all the ways that I messed my own life up and how much I deserve the same warning from God to say, Nate, man, you just, <laughs> the wrath is coming. Uh, Jesus steps in and he takes that. And now I don't have to even think about it. Like there is no wrath for Nate crew. And that's not because I'm great. And it's not because I figured it out, but it's because Jesus came and solidified my relationship with God. And so now I obviously can't be flipping about my life, right? I can't sin so that grace may abound. That would show that I never had grace. I can't just go do whatever I want. Cause that would mean I never actually had Jesus. But as much as my life grows with Jesus, I can be confident and rest in God's love and his favor with me forever because of what jesus has done for me so the more i actually think about that and don't take it for granted the more blessed i am to really love and delight in jesus and to eat on the substance of christ so that when things seem to be falling apart around me it's like yeah i got the substance you know like if i had a plate that had like a huge awesome steak on it and some asparagus around it and you took all the asparagus i wouldn't be that upset you know i wouldn't be upset. i still have the steak it's still wonderful i have what i need or you keep your asparagus but if you were to take everything around me and i didn't have anything so when you think about me i got the substance i got the substance that changes everything about how i feel when things around me start falling apart so through abraham god wants to bless all peoples jesus comes and fulfills that, and he's the ultimate blessing, unlocking the doors to all of God's spiritual, heavenly blessings, Ephesians 1. The substance of blessing is life in Christ. The substance of obedience is submission to Christ, I'm following a person. Then Davidic covenant, 2 Samuel 7. This is a covenant of ruling. So you have a covenant of blessing, a covenant of keeping, and a covenant of ruling. So God wants to bless all nations. He gets Abraham, starts a family. 
Then God wants to form his family to clarify who he is and his character so that he can bless all nations. He gives Moses. And now his people need a good ruler, a king over them, that would honor God's ways and bless the people and lead them in the way that God wants. The goal for this is to provide a leader that can help God's people walk in God's blessing, to walk in the things that he intended for them through uh, Abraham, through Moses. So 2 Samuel 7 is where you learn about God's covenant with David. Pretty much the whole chapter, so I won't read any specific verses. And then when we get to the New Testament, this is why so often Jesus is referred to as the son of David. So Matthew 1, 1. In Acts 2, when Peter preaches from Pentecost, like a third of his sermon is explaining to everybody how there was David and David prophesied through Psalm 16 about Jesus. And he goes through this whole thing explaining all that. So this is obviously very important for everybody to understand that there was David and God made promises to David, which is great. Jesus now is the one fulfilling everything that God promised in David to be the perfect leader of his people. Uh, Colossians 1.18 says that Christ is the head of the body. So Colossians 1.18. So now what did we need? We need a leader. We need a good leader. Somebody to lead us into the promised land. We need somebody to take care of us, to shepherd us, to guide us so that we can follow God into God's blessing instead of turning and going into God's curse and into wrath. And so we have all these different things. Now Jesus comes ultimately, and he's the one who rules over us. So Colossians 1.18, that's why Jesus is the head of the body. He's the ruler. He's the one that provides its sustenance. He's the king. Uh, John 10.11, Jesus is the good shepherd. Jesus is the good shepherd. So he's leading and guiding his people. Um, so you have the substance of blessing is life in Jesus. The substance of obedience is submission to Jesus. And the substance of freedom, true freedom is in following Jesus. So true freedom is found in following Jesus. So in the same way God provides a leader like David, he uses David to set his people free so that they can do what's right and walk in the blessing of God. Even though they refuse to do that from time and time again, God sends a leader named Jesus. Uh, Jesus is the one that if we follow, we will walk in God's blessing, right? So that once again, it doesn't mean like you get a new house and new car. It means all the other most important things in your life uh, that you would walk in God's favor. Um, and as uh, like Numbers uh, says, that his, his face would turn upon you. So the substance of true freedom is following Jesus. Okay, finally, Hebrews 8 and 10, you have Jesus. So if you go from a covenant of blessing to a covenant of keeping to a covenant of ruling, now to a covenant of saving, a covenant of saving. Jesus comes in Hebrews 8 through 10. Hebrews 8 through 10 will make a lot more sense if you understand Abraham, Moses, and David um, for you to understand what God's doing with covenant. So he, Jesus comes. He fulfills all those things. It's really beautiful. And what we see from this is the substance of true salvation is to see and believe in Jesus. So true salvation is found not in the things that I do or in the things that I can understand, but in seeing Jesus and believing in him as Savior, uh, which has changed the game for everything about God's people. So uh, these are the things that we see. Uh, there's a little bit more. I'm going to leave it and be done right there uh, with the theology class for the day. Um, so practically, what I want you to understand and get out of that is when you're reading the Bible, I want you to be able to get the substance from wherever. You're in Leviticus 5, Genesis 12, Obadiah, you know, 1, you're whatever, Revelation 4, 1 Thessalonians 3. I want you to be able to get the substance out of your Bible reading time. And to get the substance would mean, A, to understand the text at hand, and B, to understand how it fits into the story 
of God's revelation in Jesus Christ? How can I get to the substance of what is really happening here? What is God doing? What is God preparing? How is God working uh, in these different covenants? How is it leading to Jesus? And then here's the thing practically for you is when your Bible reading becomes that and your thoughts become that, and when you think more about that and pay more attention to Jesus, you're going to live in the substance and not in the shadows, right? So if you're living in the shadows, that means you're living in uh, a someone else's sermons, right? That's why I say all the time, man does not live off sermons alone. Uh, that means you're living primarily in what someone else sees and, and knows about Jesus. If you're living in the shadows, you're living in religious activity. You're just doing good things. Both those things are good, right? If you're living in the shadows, you're trying to, um, you know, be a nice moral person. All these things, those things are all fine. Those things are good things to do. I hope you listen to sermons. I hope you do what's right, all that. But to live in the substance, to live in the real substance is to learn and enjoy and get more of Jesus and to follow him. And so the more you have of that and you have the substance, the more stable you're going to be when things fall apart all around you and the more you're going to be able to flourish, right? You can flourish now in the midst of coronavirus and isolation because you have the substance. Nobody take your substance away. And the more you're able to read any part of the Bible and get substance, and the more you understand what God's doing throughout the scriptures and get substance, uh, the more you're able to kind of track that and kind of lean into that uh, and really grow and flourish. And so I, I really believe with all my heart that a lot of times we don't flourish spiritually because something has taken our eyes off of Jesus. And it could be something sinful, obviously, but it could also be something good. Um, that we just tend to put more focus on than Jesus, the person, Jesus, the son of God, Jesus, my savior, my Lord, um, Jesus, the one who fulfilled all of God's promises for me. So uh, anyways, I'm going to let that leave there. Any uh, thoughts and 